There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Welcome to part two of 15 Reasons I No Longer Believe in Reincarnation. You may say, no longer believe. Did you believe in this doctrine at one time? Yes, I did. Back in 1970, when I was a member of an Edgar Casey prayer group, and also I was a yoga teacher at four universities, and I ran a yoga ashram in Tampa, Florida, I was passionately a promoter of the ideas of karma and reincarnation. But now I refute those beliefs and embrace a biblical worldview. And I want to explain to you why I shifted, why I changed when I was converted 50 years ago. So why should I even address this subject? 25%, according to a recent poll, of adult citizens of the United States believe in reincarnation. If that large a segment of our society believes in this concept, then we definitely, as Christians, need to be able to intelligently respond to it. Often when I'm discussing this doctrine with those who are adherents, they refer to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, and they say, well, doesn't the Bible teach reincarnation? And let me quote that passage to you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, and that's capital S Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, doesn't that sound like reincarnation and karma? Doesn't that sound like karmic debt being paid off? Well, first, let me say that usually deception is based on certain elements of truth. And there is a pattern in life that if you have negative behavior, it's going to tend to result in negative consequences. And if you have positive behavior, it's going to tend to result in just positive consequences. However, that is not always the case. We have the example, for instance, of Job, who was sowing all kinds of positive seeds in his life, but he came into a period of time in his life when all kinds of negative consequences happened, but it could not be tied to previous behavior on his part. And what about the example of Paul? If karma and reincarnation were true, then Paul, who was behind the torture of many Christians and the death of those who believed in the name of Jesus, would have to be reborn in future lives to be tortured and to be killed himself for his beliefs in order to pay off his quote-unquote karmic debt. So it's not an ironclad law. 
Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 is just saying basically there's a tendency in life. There's a general rule. If you live in a negative way, you're going to reap negative results. For instance, if you eat junk food, you're going to end up having bad health. If you indulge in sexual immorality, very likely you'll have a broken heart and life uh, years later and probably contract some kind of STD, some kind of sexually transmitted disease. It's just the way life goes, but it's not a tit-for-tat rule like reincarnation and karma. It is just an exhortation to live in a more positive and virtuous and good and loving way because you tend to draw back into your life the results of that kind of behavior. Let's start with reason number five. I covered four reasons in the previous program, like the proper understanding of Jesus's words and how that the repayment of karma produces an impossible to solve, exponentially growing payback system, something that can never be resolved in the end. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Uh, but that was the last program. On this episode, I intend to cover reasons 5 to 15. And uh, that's quite a lot of territory to cover in just one program, so I'll go quickly. Reason number 5. The reason I do not believe in the related doctrines of karma and reincarnation is because those twin doctrines can result in an indifference toward human suffering, or even in extreme situations, the inhumane treatment of others. Now, in all fairness, I've got to say there are many compassionate Hindu people and others New Agers, for instance, that may believe in the doctrines of karma and reincarnation. However, it is easy to see how embracing these doctrines can influence people to accept the inevitability of suffering in some people's lives. So why interfere? And the reaction would be just to withdraw, just to be detached from a world full of pain instead of a passion to get involved in it and change it for the good. And so I do offer that as one reason. Now, reason number six, I no longer believe in these two doctrines, is that certain karmic retributions that are outlined in Hindu scripture or Hindu sacred writings seem way too severe to me. Now, I'm quoting from the Puranas, and the Puranas are not considered to be the highest kind of inspired literature. Uh, that's called Shriti, and that means hearing or something that is heard, and it means uh, scripture that's uh, resulted from divine revelation. This is Smriti, and that means something which is remembered or uh, traditional things or recollections from the past that are inspired, but not on the level of those uh, scriptures considered absolutely irrefutable. And so I, I needed to mention that before I quote from the Puranas. But here in the Garuda Purana, it says, uh, just to give you, a, for instance, anyone who steals food becomes a rat, and anyone who steals grain becomes a locust. And if someone were to steal salt, that person becomes an ant or a killer of a cow becomes humpbacked an imbecile. If that be true, then anyone who's worked in the slaughter industry 
where meats are produced, would end up coming back humpbacked and imbecilic. These are beyond belief, the, uh, that if you stole bread as a child, you'd come back as an ant. That just seems too severe and too outlandish to me. Uh, and then reason number seven, this dual concept leaves no room for forgiveness coming from God, which is a fundamental principle of the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus. Even in the Lord's Prayer, which was in his first primary sermon that's recorded in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, you have the Lord's Prayer, or at least it's been titled that, and one of the main lines is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So it's an appeal to the Heavenly Father to forgive us of our sins. Well, this rule, this law of karma doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow for a personal God to administer a personal expression of forgiveness to those who repent and call out to him to do that very thing. But the Bible promises, for instance, in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. And in the first chapter of the first epistle of John, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in Hinduism, ultimate reality is not a personal God that could respond to your appeal that way. Brahman is ultimate reality in Hinduism, and that is an impersonal cosmic level of consciousness. And you don't cry out to Brahman because Brahman will not respond to you. And so it's a completely different point of view. Forgiveness is a principle of the New Testament that dominates the writings of the gospel writers and the epistle writers. Certainly, it is a provision in the teachings of Jesus that is emphasized. Now, reason number eight is this. There are means offered in Hinduism for the canceling of karma. Why would that be an argument against a belief in karma and reincarnation? Because most New Agers believe that Jesus spent a portion of his life sometime between the age of 12 and 30 in the Far East, studying under various gurus and swamis in order to awaken his Christ nature. If that were the truth, then he would have known these provisions for forgiveness of sin. Just to mention a few of them, it's taught within Hinduism that if a person dies in the city of Varanasi, especially if they've washed in the river Ganges, it cleanses them of all negative karma and they can go straight back to Godhead at death. They return to Shiva. Also, it's spoken in Hindu scripture that if they read the Ramayana, that those who read it or even hear it read will have all their sins washed away. Some gurus teach that the chanting of mantras burns up karma, or meditating on the third eye burns up karma. And in Sikhism, there is a belief, according to the Adi Granth, those who meditate on the fifth guru shall not have to pass through the painful womb of reincarnation ever again. 
Now, if Jesus was familiar with the doctrines of the Far East, then he would not have gone to the cross. He would not have promoted the idea that his death was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. He would have led a group of people over to the river Ganges to wash away their sin, or maybe he would have introduced the Ramayana where they could read that or told people how to chant mantras or meditate on the third eye. Instead, he said, use not vain repetitions like the heathen do, which was definitely an exhortation not to involve yourself in those kind of practices. So that's the eighth reason, because Jesus uh, made it very clear that something far different was necessary to cure the human dilemma. Now, reason number nine is that the two doctrines of karma and reincarnation seem to be in direct conflict with the cyclical view of the universe that is forecast in Hinduism. See, they believe that there are cycles and that these cycles are extremely lengthy and that uh, right now we're in the Kali cycle, that's K-A-L-I, which is an era of great degeneration that they say is going to get worse and worse and worse and will not end for over 426,000 years and is going to devolve to the point where religion will be purged from the world altogether and evil will abound. Now, if that be true, how can anyone be born into this world and evolve toward a higher level of perfection to escape the cycle of rebirth? The trend is downward, not upward. And how can you fight against the undertow of the Kali Yuga, which is this age we're supposedly living in, by becoming a righteous and saintly person to escape this cycle of rebirth. It doesn't seem like those two ideas are compatible at all. Then reason number 10, if reincarnation is true, then fatalism is true. See, if the soul is about to be reincarnated, there are certain karmic calculations made so that the soul, with its accumulated burden of karmic debt, will attach itself to a developing embryo so that that person's life is mapped out from the beginning. Fatalism reigns then. You can't escape it. It was attached to you when you were an embryo in your mother's womb. And that sounds horrifyingly unacceptable to me. Then reason number 11, if it is necessary to work out your karma, then the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was not the powerful, pivotal, planetary event that the Bible declares it to be. See, before Jesus ever even started his ministry, John the Baptist introduced him to Israel with the statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That would have been an absurd statement and an untrue statement if the doctrines of karma and reincarnation are true. But even Jesus himself at the Last Supper passed the cup and he said, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus was declaring in advance that the crucifixion was going to be necessary to wipe out the sin debt 
of those who receive him as Lord of their lives. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So yes, uh, that verse declares that we're coming back, but we're not coming back to pay off karmic debt. We're coming back to rule and reign as glorified saints in this world, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Reason number 12 that I do not believe in reincarnation is that According to that doctrine, we are shedding all of these individual human personalities on our way to become one with Brahman, which is an impersonal life force. Now, to me, if you look at it logically, passing from being a person who has a personality to becoming one with an impersonal force is not progression, it's digression. It would not be progress for a plant to go back to being a rock because a plant is a living thing. And to go back to being inanimate is digression. And in like manner, it is a wonderful thing to have personhood and to retreat back to an impersonal nature is not something that is an upward evolution of the soul. Reason number 13 I believe those who claim to have past life memories or past life regressions where they experience something from their past, an individual, a personality that they say they once were in this cycle of reincarnations, and they try to prove it in some cases by an individual saying they have knowledge they were unfamiliar with prior to this visionary experience, and they would even quote names or give dates or relate circumstances that they had no prior knowledge of. And so that's proof to them that they were involved in that situation as another human being in another era experiencing those things. However, my response to that is this, that human beings have only one life. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, it is appointed unto men once to die. But demons don't die. Demons do have an origin. They had a beginning. They were once angels, and then they rebelled against God. But they have an existence forever. As far as we know, they will continue on into eternity in their existence. And those demons could have been present afflicting or oppressing or even possessing certain individuals and then becoming very familiar with all the historical things of that age, of that generation, of that person's life. And so if that same demon influences you now, if you open yourself up through occultic methods uh, to the possibility of experiencing past life regression, then that demon can communicate to you this uh, set of facts that could have only been known if someone was there in that set of circumstances. And you'll think it's your own mind. You'll think it's your own remembrance instead of something being subtly communicated by a demon power. Why would demons want you to believe in reincarnation? Because then it discards the value of the individual life and it makes it less important for you to find God in this life. And also, it would 
it would guide you into a, a number of false doctrines that are anti-biblical and anti-Christian. Certainly, demons would love that. Reason number 14 is this, that true salvation is not based on human effort or religious works. It's based on grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation doesn't come because you earn it. You don't become good enough to be saved, nor do you become good enough to go to heaven. It is all a gift of grace based on your faith and what Jesus did on the cross and how he came out of the tomb victoriously. That leads me to reason number 15, why I do not believe in karma and reincarnation. If it is necessary to evolve to perfection through reincarnation, then the resurrection of Jesus and of all believers is stripped of its purpose and its value. See, why did Jesus come out of the grave? Why was he resurrected? Because he was the firstborn from the dead. He was the firstborn among many brethren. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. The Bible teaches the physical resurrection of believers. God doesn't have to have the entire physical body to work with, just like he started with a handful of dust when he created Adam in the beginning. The body of a believer may have even returned to dust, but God can use those even microscopic particles that once were the human body of someone who believed in him and use that substance to bring forth a glorified form. The Bible said when Jesus returns, that the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And when we see him, we shall be like him, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. See, there is a final conclusion to this. In the Bible, it definitely forecasts a phenomenal outcome when Jesus comes back again and the dead in Christ and living believers are changed into his glorious image forevermore. That's what I embrace now. That's what I believe now. And that's what you should believe as well. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family. 